0: Hello and welcome to episode 89 of The Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. we will to be joined right now by Jason Collette. Jason is a writer for Rotowire, Fangraphs, and a regular contributor to SiriusXM and ESPN Sweet Spot Network. You can give him a follow on Twitter, at Jason Collette. Jason, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Sure thing. Thanks for having me on, man. My pleasure. Well, I ask everyone this right at the top of the show. Tell me what initially got you into baseball in the first place.
1: Uh, let's see. I, uh, I moved from uh, Houston, Texas to Fl- Orlando, Florida when I was a sophomore in high school. And I, I lost the ability to watch Major League Baseball because at the time there was no Major League Baseball. So I'm kind of dating myself. And it wasn't until when the Marlins came along, I said, no, I'm, I'm an NL Astros fan. I'm not adding another NL team. AL comes along with the double Rays I said, OK, I'm going to start doing that. But in the meantime, I picked up a fantasy baseball league in college, uh, working at Burger King, talking baseball with a couple of guys. Uh, and we were in a league for the longest time until I moved away from Florida a few years
0: ago. I've been playing ba- fantasy baseball now 25 years. Did you start playing fantasy when you had to send in the card? I would see these like magazine ads and I remember doing it as a kid. I would like send in a lineup card and they would mail it back with the stats on it.
1: Man, the first year I played, uh, our commissioner lived about five miles north of the school that I taught at. And the stat sheet would be printed out on Wednesday mornings. And we'd have to go by his house and lift up underneath the doormat to pick up our stats. And that's how we did it, I think, the first two years. So, you know, when CBS Sportsline first came out, we're like, oh, my God, this thing is the best thing ever. Uh, Because you could see your stats online. You could pick up players but uh, yeah, first couple of years, it was done once a week and you had to call in your pickups. Uh, you know, if you were lucky, not everybody had email, so that didn't always work. So you had to call in and leave a voicemail. And yeah, it was rough. I can't just people these days. It's so easy to go in there and just pick up a guy, place a bid. But uh, it, it was hardcore back in the day.
0: I used to collect box scores when I was a kid. I used to love the Sunday paper. I'd get the Sunday Boston Globe just so I could collect the box scores. But they didn't have the uh, late games for Saturday or uh, obviously any of the games on Sunday. So to get the full week, I would get Baseball Weekly... Which was, oh, yeah. uh, which was USA Today's publication, baseball publication at the time. And that would have all the box scores for the week. And I would check all the stats. And I remember you would have these cards that you would send into a company and they would send you stats. But I remember I stopped doing it. And I was like 12 at this point because I noticed they were not keeping track of the stats correctly. And I was and I was very upset. So I didn't do fantasy baseball again for another like 15 years. And then I got into it <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is the best. So uh, let's talk about what kind of leagues you'd like to participate in. How many, what size of a league and what kind of scoring do you prefer in your leagues
1: so you know i'm i'm old school i don't do any of the head-to-head or the points league i do straight roto uh you know the, i am in the uh, the mixed the 15 team mixed labor with paul spore i am in the coming to be in the 12 team al tout wars uh it'll be the weekend after next uh, after this coming one and i have two local nl leagues uh here in north carolina one is a 12 team nl and the other one is an 11 team uh, with the modified roster. And then I have an AL, uh, an 11-team AL as well. And I, I really like – and I also prefer the auction. The only draft that I do is the uh, is the mixed-labor draft. Everything else is auction. And I, I like that because I like to go after – I want to be able to implement the strategy and be in full control of it. If it's one thing, if I – you know, there was a couple of years ago in Tout Wars where Chris List, Jeff Erickson, and I were pretty much – even though we were running off different numbers, we all seemed to be on the same guys. And, and sadly, we all finished in the bottom four uh, of the league that year. But it, it's tough. It's, it's I can deal with competing against like two guys in the room if we all come up with the same kind of strategy. But in in, in a draft, if I, yeah, I'm doing one of these – I'm doing two – Drafts right now through fan tracks. One is uh, the fantasy baseball invitational that Justin Mason's running. Uh, I think he's got like 10 different leagues going on there. And then I'm doing uh, Fantrax. gave me a free league to beat Jason Collette league. So I'm drafting in that and I'm drafting 14th in the beat Jason league and I'm drafting 10th in the other one. And I just hate Having to you know make my picks around the turn like that, and to just wait for everything else to come back around to me. So uh, I am I I am I'm straight up roto with the auction, and I, I different styles too. I mean, Tout Wars is an OBP league, and I like that better than batting average because we're giving we're giving credit to the guys that hits doubles and triples. We're not just completely ignoring uh, that. I would like to get into a league that had quality starts instead of wins. Uh, and do something that has saves and holds rather than just straight saves. I really hate how the closer role is overvalued in fantasy baseball compared to real baseball. Um, but you're never, gonna, I'm never going to pick up a points league. I just for as long as I've been playing, I enjoy the format here. And daily, I'm in a daily league. And I'm also in a weekly league, so I, I keep a nice mixture of both. It gives me stuff to talk about <laughs> for podcast and stuff to write about as well.
0: Yeah, and the three changes you mentioned are the leagues that I prefer: OBP, quality starts saves plus holds doing those three things to a regular roto league makes it so much better not having to worry about vulture reliever wins is so much better giving middle relievers value you want guys like andrew miller and Dylan Batanzas to have value they have a lot of value in real life you want them to have value in fantasy as well and relievers mm-hmm. who don't get saves in traditional formats really aren't that valuable at all
1: that's right they either need to vulture the wins or get the strikeouts i mean last year i i drafted chris Devensky. Because I, I saw the role that the Astros were going to put him into, and it worked out great. But a lot of his value was front-loaded. Rest of the season, it tanked because he just wasn't pitching enough. Because uh, they used him so heavily early on, and then once the strikeouts weren't there and the ratios took a hit, he was just completely cuttable. He'd just get rid of him because uh, there was no uh, in the in the standard roto scoring that he had no value anymore.
0: One of the big questions this year is about Shohei Otani, not only where he's going to get drafted, but how each sites are using him. I know Yahoo is actually having two different Otani's. They're having an Otani pitcher you can draft and an Otani hitter you can draft. So they completely butchered how they're handling the Otani situation. How are other sites handling it and how should they be handling it?
1: Yeah, it looks like they're they're going both ways. I don't know if the site I don't know if one is doing it the way I prefer. I would prefer that that you use him and you get to declare him at the beginning of the week which way you want to do him. I don't like having two. Imagine if you draft both guys and you got the – I mean, there's some – it's odd, but it's something you're going to have to – the software is going to have to address because, you know, Brendan McKay and the Tampa Bay organization is doing, is going to end up doing the same thing. Uh, and you could see other guys trying to do it. I don't know how we didn't, how it's taken this long. I mean, you know, we think back to John Olerud who was a very accomplished college pitcher uh, and hitter, and he never did pitch in, the, didn't pitch in the major leagues, but other guys certainly could try it. And then I always jokingly bring up, what do you do with Chris Jimenez? I mean, Chris Jimenez could legitimately come in, and and pick up a save, like do a three innings worth of pitching. Uh, he, he had like six or seven appearances last year. So who knows what will happen uh, with that particular piece. But for me with Otani, what, what scares me is where he's being drafted. He was drafted in the sixth round of the the aforementioned labor mixed draft that I did. This was February 13th. And then tonight, uh, this is March 6th, on the uh, in the Tout Wars mixed draft, he also went in the sixth round. And then over the weekend in labor auction, he went eighteen dollars to Eno you know, Saris and Jeff Zimmerman. So people are paying full freight, and it, I'm risk adverse here. This is not. I would never. I would never be drafting him that high, and I'm, I'm certainly not going to spend that type of money when we get to AL Tout Wars on, on St. Patrick's Day. Uh, when you're listening on Sirius XM, that's not going to be me saying seventeen dollars to push him to eighteen.
0: Yeah, Jeff Fletcher who covers the Angels, friend of the podcast, he predicts that he'll his innings total this year will be somewhere between 130 and 150 and that his plate appearances will be somewhere between 200 and 300. So if that's what he is, he's being very overdrafted. For that the ratios have to be excellent to that point.
1: If he's go if that's all he's going to pitch, his ratios have to be really strong. He's going to have to average uh, expect, we're talking mixed league format. It's a little easier in, in AL only, but in a mixed league, if he's only going to pitch that much, he's got to max out. He's going to be excellent in those
0: innings. And that's, that's asking a lot for the kid. One of the problems that's come up with fantasy baseball in the last couple of years is that stolen bases are becoming such a rarity in real baseball. They're so scarce that guys who actually steal bases have so much fantasy value. It's kind of out of control. How do you think leagues can address the fantasy situation with stolen bases?
1: Earlier when I said I don't like how saves are being treated uh, in fantasy baseball, I'm almost treating steals like saves these days. Somebody in your league is going to pay – there's always – I mentioned my AL league. There's a guy in the AL league who's who's like old school as old school can be and thinks every closer should be twenty dollars. And he doesn't even care if if he ends up with all three of them on his team. If a closer's out there, forbid he makes sure he gets some of the 20 bucks. And because stuck with him, he gets stuck with him. But that's how he values closers. And there's always gonna be somebody in your league who's gonna look at the stolen base guy and said, like, I've gotta build around a Billy Hamilton. I have to build around a D Gordon, those types of things. I mean, for me, last year uh, last two years in Tout. Uh, two years ago, I went out and I wanted to get Jose Altuve, and he went four dollars more than I had projected. So then I adjusted and I went with the line of and somebody else, and Deshields was terrible; didn't work out. Last year, I went ahead and got Altuve, had properly valued him, and I did a lot better in Tout Wars. Uh, but you know, that's more well-rounded speed. But for me, if you're not going to if you're not going to go out there and buy those guys, if we compare, if, if you compare, uh, you know. A as Chapman to the Billy Hamilton, those those high-end guys, there's lots of steals in other places. You just have to make sure that you buy enough here and there to make up for not getting that one guy. You don't have to win steals, just like you don't have to win saves, but you can't punt that one either, because if you punt stolen bases, you're likely going to hurt yourself in runs as well, so you need to make sure you're picking up those the, enough here or there to make up for it.
0: Yeah, not every site allows you to do this, but the way I would love stolen bases to be handled, if you're in a 10 person league, rather than stolen bases counting for 10 points, I think it should be halved, counted for five. Second place gets four and a half. Third place gets four. And it's still not worth it to punt stolen bases in that case, but making it half as valuable as everything else, I think would even things out a lot.
1: Well, that or, or do. I, I was in a league one year where it was stolen base percentage, and I like that a lot uh, because, you know, the guys, if you think of. Like Francisco Lindor, he only stole 15 bases last year, but he was 15 for 18. That's really good uh, compared to a guy that's 15 for 26. So you you, you end up rewarding the guy who was the more uh, adept
0: bait stealer than the guy who's just doing it by quantity. Let's go around the diamond a little bit. We'll take a look at every position. Catcher is a thin position. Even still, I don't think it's worth taking anyone in the top fifty. Not even Sanchez or Posey. What do you think of the catcher position as a whole? Who do you like? Who are you avoiding?
1: Yeah, you know Sanchez is a good guy to bring up there because for one of the things I'm worried about, you know, last year he had 120 games and he played 18 at DH. I don't know where that path to that many games at DH is this year. I mean, you figure that one of the one of the towers is going to end up DHing, uh, alternating to keep them fresh. You you want to have Aaron Hicks's defensive skills in the field. You don't want to have him sitting too much, and you've got Gardner out there, Gardner as well. So to me, Sanchez, how much is he going to be able to handle behind the plate catching? You know, five six days a week. Uh, we don't know yet because again, last year was 101 plate appearances uh, for that. So that's one thing I'm concerned about. I you know I really like wellington castillo again this year it was great last year when he was in baltimore he moves to another very friendly park in in chicago so that should help him out a a full year of what wilson ramos did power wise behind the plate should be beneficial this year and i think robinson Chirinos, even though he may not be the full-time catcher when it's all said and done um, and you know health is going to limit him too and he's a little long in the tooth, but he's shown good power every year when he has stayed healthy. And that's a guy that I like late. So catching depth, I think there's there's more there's more depth this year than there has been in the past to me. It's still it's still a tough position. I am I used to be one of those guys like, I just give me two guys at the end of the draft. I don't care. Um I'm definitely out of that camp now. I'm not gonna go get your I'm not gonna be the guy that goes and gets Gary Sanchez or or Buster Posey or Sal Perez. Uh, but I may go in the Wilson Contreras, but I, I'm definitely going to get one of those top eight catchers and then find my my second guy on the back end rather than try to punt catcher. I see a lot of teams do that, and I think it's a mistake.
0: Yeah, I actually like Grandel late as a catcher as well. He had an off year the two years before that. He was really good. I still think he's going to get the most opportunities behind the plate there in Los Angeles. I think Grandel, considering where he's going, that could be a steal at catcher. Let's move on to first base. General thoughts on the position. This is a very deep position. This, this, to me, is not where you want to take a flyer on someone because there are so many good guys up at the top. What do you think of the position as a whole? Who do you like and who are you avoiding? That position does have crazy amount of
1: depth this year. When you look at it, in the past, we weren't too crazy uh, with the position, but there's just so much there there. Maybe if you get down to, to 25, when I was looking at ADP earlier today, and you take a look at ADP, at 25 at first base right now is Justin Bohr. And a lot of people like Justin Bohr. Shoot, you get down to thirty, and thirty is Logan Morrison. And going to going from Tampa Bay to Minnesota, and you know, we get thirty-eight in a park that wasn't really tailor-made for lefties. He's moving to another one that's in the same boat, but now he's going to a division with three teams that are in rebuilding, and they're going to have a lot of inconsistent pitching. He could hit another thirty-eight to forty again this year. I mean, but when I look at that position, I, I like Jose Abreu because he's he's a prognosticator's dream because you can just sit there and. Uh, project his numbers, and they're pretty much going to be right in line with where he was the year before. He's rather consistent in that regard. Um, I think one of the guys that's kind of surprised me and how he's been undervalued on the ADP market right now is is Carlos Santana. He's going to going to a better ballpark in Philadelphia than he had in Cleveland. Uh, you know, that lineup's going to be nice for him. He's going to have. And we look at some of the other parks in, in, within that division. I think Carlos Santana's uh, a good shot to be a 3,100 guy there in that ballpark. And when you look at his ADP, he's been he's been rather undervalued. And it's, it's just a surprise right now. He's at 170. Uh, that's moved up a little bit. I remember seeing him closer to 200 last month. And uh, so I, I've been buying uh, all winter. And then I'm, I'm really intrigued Jose Martinez, how the Cardinals are going to use him. It's going to be you look at that depth chart it looks crowded but then you look at all the the stat cast data behind his bat and the numbers and how he stacks up against some of the other guys and it it would surprise me if the cardinals sit him and say you know what yeah we're just going to leave you on the bench and we're going to use you as a short side platoon guy um because he put he dented a lot of baseballs last year in the second half and showed that uh, what he was doing was real and right now he's if if the playing time works out, his his ADP is 263. That's going to be a big profit. Uh, if he can hold up, if he shows what, what he did in the last third of the season, and he translates that over to 2018. That's going to be a very nice profit for somebody.
0: Miguel Cabrera had his worst year as a pro last season. He's obviously two years removed from a great year. He's not that far removed from being elite. What do we expect from Miguel Cabrera last year, uh, this year, and where do you think he should be valued?
1: Uh, another guy that I really want no part of, because if you think how bad, I mean, he's going, he went in seventh round, seventh round in the, in the labor draft that we had back in February. And he went, uh, similar sixth round tonight in tout wars. It's just, when you think about that team, that team's terrible. And he went, and he went $23 in the auction over the weekend. So my thing with him is there is absolutely no reason to pitch to him. I mean, Nicholas Castellanos is on that team, and that's all fine and dandy. But with Miguel Cabrera, if he's healthy, the best thing you can do with him is pitch around him and put him on base so he clogs the bases up. He may set, though—I He, you know, I jokingly said he could break Barry Bonds' walk rate this year. Um, because if I'm a contending team, there's not a, there's not a chance I'm pitching to him. I'm going to pitch to everybody else in that lineup— uh, except for Castellanos, everybody else is somebody that I'd rather pitch against uh, even a, a 90% Miguel Cabrera. So I am worried that he's going to have another bad season and it may not be because of health it's
0: just, he's not going to see a lot of strikes. Yeah. And I had him in a couple of leagues last year and got burned one league. I had Cabrera, Starling Marte and Noah Syndergaard. So if you're wondering Ouch. how to lose a fantasy league, that's a good start right there. But let's move on to second base, Altuve. Many sites have him ranked as the number one player. In some drafts, he is going ahead of Trout. I think that's a little much, but he's clearly a one or a two in this year's draft. What do you think of the position as a whole?
1: Not as deep as it usually is. There was a year or two ago where second base had a lot of depth to it. But I think part of my problem with second base is I don't like some of the guys in the top 10. I mean, there's two guys in particular that I'm not crazy about in Jonathan Scope and Javier Baez. I mean, similar batted ball profiles and that, uh, in that they don't take a lot of walks Baez is obviously has more swing and miss than Scope but again getting back to the stat cast data that validated what Martinez did it paints some risk paints a picture of risk with both of those guys you know Baez is hitting more into the ground Scope is not hitting the ball wasn't hitting the ball as hard last year so I'm, I'm a little worried in that regard and if, if Baltimore starts blowing it up and they and they trade Manny Machado during the season which would be insane because they should have traded him this Offseason, uh, but you know those are two guys that worry me there. And then once you once you start rolling down second base, you know you got Eduardo Nunez, who I see people drafting high that I'm not crazy about because I thought he overperformed. But I'm I'm willing to wait at this position. You know, two guys that I like later, Scooter Jeanette wasn't a, uh, you know surprised a lot of people last year, but he's not surprising now. But I, I thought that the Yankees were very shrewd in picking up Brandon Drury uh, and to be able to move him around. But I think him moving to Yankee Stadium is there's some there's a potential for 20 home run season there for Drury and he's been a guy that I've been targeting later in uh in some of the drafts if he can make it to me because I like what I saw from his from his numbers in Arizona and then moving over to Yankee Stadium and the way he's and comparing his spray
0: chart to how it
1: play in Yankee Stadium it looks very favorable
0: my deep sleeper at second base is Scott Kingery rookie prospect for the Phillies He's a guy that's been hitting well over the last year and a half in the minors. He made some adjustments and he's been doing really well. Once the service time manipulation is over with him, he should be playing regularly come May 1st. I think they'll find a spot for him. I think he'll produce at a high level. I don't think it's going to be top 10 high, but if he comes up and he's what Matt Carpenter was when he was young, there's a lot of value there, especially in keepers.
1: Oh, yeah, I absolutely agree. And that's it. And that's what those are the types of guys Phillies should be playing. And then you look, if you think, oh, maybe a lot of people are chasing them. If you look at the guys behind them on the ADP chart, it's not like you're sticking your neck. out. I mean, Drury's a little far behind him. But like if people are, are going to question you and say, man, why are you chasing after the shiny new toy? But like, Jose Reyes, Colton Wong, Joe Panic, Devin Travis, Brand. Those are the guys that are – and Brandon Drury. That's the class after him. Now, I'd take Drury over Kingery. That's just me, uh, but we each have our thoughts on there. But I would take either of those two over everybody else I just mentioned.
0: The shortstop position is very top-heavy. And it makes me nervous at the top, to be honest, because of Trey Turner. Trey Turner, I've seen go as high as four in some drafts. His auction value is very high. I'm curious where he's gone in some of the drafts you've been in. To me, he's the biggest risk in the first round of the high-end players. He's the biggest risk. He perhaps has the most upside as well. We talked about how stolen bases are overvaluing some players in fantasy. And I think Trey Turner is the biggest example of that in the first round.
1: I mean, so he went fourth overall tonight in tout. He went fourth overall uh, in labor. So the, the quote-unquote expert market, that's where they have him. Um, I am a huge Trey Turner honk. I t- I took him high. I took him fifth overall last year. And when you look at – health has really been it. I mean, last year in, in single and NL-only formats, he earned $30 and 412 at-bats. You know, let, let's say if he would have played the 575 – the 550 at-bats – that he should have had in his position and stayed healthy, he would have had a monster year. Uh, and he's shown the ability to obviously steal a bunch of bases. He's shown the ability to hit for average. He's shown the ability to hit for some pop. We just haven't seen it all together at once, and we see a lot of a lot of times people will talk about age 26 breakout, age 27 breakout. It has to do about the age. It has to do about the experience. This is now his third full season. This will be his third full season in the major leagues, and that's when these things start to happen is this type of year, and I'm, I'm really excited. If I had been picking fourth in either one of those drafts, he'd be on my team too. If, I'd, if I would have picked fifth, I would have been mad that he got taken right in front of me because I absolutely would have planned to take him fifth in the league.
0: Yeah, that's so hard for me. I I, I just don't want any risk with the first and second round picks. I would honestly, if I had the first pick in the draft, I would take him when he came all the way back around to me. And he would never last that long, but that's when I would take him. I would have a hard time taking him over Bryant or Stanton or Correa. I I want the power. I want the production. I know it can count count on. And and Turner has been great. The injury concerns are a little bit there with him. But just relying on those stolen bases, he hurts his knee and he blows it out. And then you never know what happens. It's to me, it could be Jacoby Ellsbury all over again. Ellsbury had some monster fantasy years. He had one year he probably won the, the MVP, but he was overdrafted for a lot of years where he wasn't producing at a high level.
1: Right. And then what I would say to you there is if you want to pass on him and and you want to wait till the spin back, that's when you go grab Francisco Lindor, who I think has an outside shot at 30-30 this year. I mean, he hit the 30 home runs last year. I mentioned earlier he only stole 15 bases but he was 15 for 18 and he did most of his running in the second half of the season and you know when you look at when you look at his stolen base opportunities they're all there he was in the top 25 in terms of being on base with the base in front of him being unoccupied and we know he's a good base dealer, 15 for 18 82% Francona couldn't let him run. Maybe he does 30-30 this year, uh, and you know, he's been available on the spin back. He went twentieth uh, or twenty first in, in mixed labor last month. And we, uh, Paul and I, had the fourteenth pick, so we got Kluber at fourteen, and we took Bryant at seventeen. But we at, we looked strongly at Lindor at seventeen. We ended up going Bryant instead uh, there, but it was a uh, it was honestly a tough choice. But we're uh, I'm really really high on Lindor this year. I, I think he is uh, I think he'll be better than
0: Correa. A guy going late for shortstops is Tim Anderson. I like him a lot in standard 5x5 leagues, not in OBP leagues. But I like him as a 15-15 guy, 15 homers, 15 stolen bases. Dealt with some personal issues last year. I think he's being underdrafted where he's going.
1: Yeah, I mean, with a lot of people, I was excited about him last year, and I had—I think I projected him for 15 home runs, 75 runs driven in, 25 steals. Uh, but the the walk, to strikeout ratio was just abysmal last year. I think it was three three percent walk rate, 27 percent strikeout rate. It that, yeah, that's tough to, to fight up against. But the good news about him, again, Chicago's rebuilding. They have him under the contract. They're going to play him every day, uh, and in an AL only format. You you want your at bats, and that's the kind of guy uh, that you should be go, that you should be going out there to get. Right now, he's a shortstop, 15 by ADP, and he's going behind Orlando Arcia, Paul DeYoung, Trevor Story. Uh, I like Anderson's upside better than all of those. The other shortstop that I would I would look at in the top 12 that I think is being undervalued right now, even though he's as ADP as 84 is Xander Bogarts. You know, last year, he got hurt, took a fastball off the hand, and tried to play through it, and his numbers just tanked in the second half uh, because he was trying to play through that injury. And He's done a lot of work this offseason to uh, to get back into his old workout routine. The workout routine uh, he's been playing and working out in the same camp with uh, with the guys that reworked Chris Taylor and J.D. Martinez on swing. I'm actually very excited about Xander Bogarts this year, and and you look back at 2016 and saw the potential he did power-wise there, and then he gave it back last year because he just wasn't 100% healthy. If he can get back to that 2016 track, I think that's a top five shortstop this year.
0: Third base is another deep position. Corner infield this year is really strong. Uh, the top, you've got uh, potentially three first-round picks there, at least four first or second-round picks with Arenado, Bryant, Machado, Donaldson, even Jose Ramirez, who I think is being a little overdrafted this year, mm-hmm. but uh, I wouldn't take him in the second round fourth round, sure, but he's not available then, and I think he's going a little too high in auctions as well. I guess one of the big question marks at third base is with Rafael Devers. Is he legit? If he's batting cleanup for the Red Sox, that's going to be hard to pass up.
1: It is, and when I look at the when I look at the current ADP, to me, Devers is right there at my line of when I when I get a little bit of pause because right, he's at thirteen right now. For him, it's not uh, it's not an offensive thing. For me, it's the def- is the defense is the defense going to come to the plate with him because he did not look good defensively last year. He's not looked good defensively in the spring, but he's going to play. And sometimes you you see young kids uh, take their defensive struggles with them to the plate and it impacts him. I mean, the kid's got a gorgeous swing. I've seen him. It, the, go look at the highlights of him just taking the oldest Chapman yard. I mean, turning 101 around to 121, going the other way. Uh, I, I have full faith in his bat. It's just with the volatility of youth uh, and whatnot, I, I give, gives me a little pause there uh, for him. But that's where I, I do like that first tier of, of third baseman, that one to 12. And I think he's right there at the top of the next tier. But then as I start making my way down that list, I can start finding flaws. You know, Jake Lamb doesn't hit lefties. Mike Moustakas doesn't have a team. I already, <laughs> I already mentioned my uh, my concerns with Eduardo Nunez. Kyle Seeger plays in a park that's not great for him. Beltre is getting long in a tooth. Longoria just moved to a park that's even worse for him than Tropicana Field was. Uh, and so if At third base, I want to make sure that I'm getting up there and getting one of those top 12 guys Um, because I'm probably going to go to first base for my first base and my corner guy this year.
0: Outfield is, to me, a thin position. This is also where some guys are inflated because of stolen bases. Obviously, Billy Hamilton is a big example of that. I'm curious your take on the outfield as a whole. Most leagues still require five outfielders. Every league I'm in requires five outfielders, and I do find it to thin out very fast.
1: Yeah, the same. And, and so this is where I get back to the, the league variety. So I mentioned I'm in two NL leagues. The one it is a uh, the 12 team. We have five outfielders we have to do. Right. The other one's 11. And we only have to draft four outfielders. Uh, and that's where I'm I'm thankful, because uh, even in my mixed leagues, I mentioned the two leagues that I'm doing on fan tracks. Man, it has been tough. I'm already looking. I'm like, man, it's the 13th round, and uh, let me see who's left. And the outfields dropped off quickly. I know Paul and I, when we did uh, labor last month, we took Lorenzo Kane in the fifth round. Uh, we took Ian Desmond as an outfielder in the seventh round. Kiermeyer around 10. Ian Happ 11. Piscotti in 16. Uh, J- uh, Jose Martinez in the 17th, so it was you know the outfield started dropping out quick, and again the Fantrax leagues, it's I just took a fifth outfield in round 15 because I didn't, I, it was Piscotty because I really didn't like what was left after that. So uh, I do agree with you. I think uh, if you as you're going through your rounds you need to come out of the top five rounds with two outfielders. Uh, if not, you better come out of the top ten. You better finish the, the ten with at least three because they seem to be disappearing after that. Uh, the good news is there's a lot of power to be found late down there, but then it comes down to playing time. You're trying to maximize your at-bats, uh, and then you are then you have to go down there and take some of those guys later in the draft where you're hoping for the upside, but you can see the downside in the platoon. I mean, the fact that Yasmani Tomas was drafted in a mixed league in the 21st round that's kind of where the outfield depth is right now because, uh, I mean, this was a few weeks ago, but we still kind of figured uh, where where Arizona was going with things. But, you know, it's just that Aaron Alfier, not even starting, that's going in the 20th round in a mixed league.
0: I want to ask you about Ronald Acuna, the number one prospect in baseball for the Atlanta Braves, but also about your philosophy with drafting prospects in general. What do you do with a player like Acuna who is not guaranteed a spot on the roster, who may not be up until May after the service time manipulation. In standard leagues that aren't keepers or dynasties, where do you pick him? In leagues that are shallow keepers, where you keep two or three guys, where do you take him? And obviously in dynasty leagues, long-term dynasty leagues, he's already taken. So what right. do you do with prospects in general, and what do you think about Cunha, just where he stands? I tend to have a
1: very short-sighted vision of players when I draft them. Uh, I'm not looking for the long-term game. I'm looking for who can help me this year, maybe who can help me next year. Uh, But I'm I'm one of the guys that play on a year-to-year basis. I I, one of the guys in my league back home. Brian, he was an expert at it. The guy for like a six-year stretch either finished first or last, and he was able to identify his talent, his team's talent early on, and say, you know what, I'm going to punt it. I'm going to draft. Certain things. I'm going to go ahead and trade it. I'm going to finish last, rebuild my team and then finish first. It was just the, the, the funniest thing to see a guy go first, last, first, last, first, um, something like that. So, I mean, for me, I'm I will let other guys chase them. I haven't I haven't even had the opportunity to draft Acuna in any league. I mean, he went around nine uh, in, in labor. I've seen him go in round eight. Uh, same thing. Uh, with some of the other kids, it's just I'm going to let somebody else take that. And I'm going to take a safer guy behind him that's uh, full, down the chart that may be the upside may not be there, but the higher floor is going to be there. And then what I tend to do is keep my eye on these guys. And and when the guy who drafts him is, is tired, maybe he gets off to a terrible start or even in that keeper league the next year where you know, a lot of rookies will struggle to meet our expectations. So the next year, they end up getting traded. That's when I want to go get them. I'll let somebody else spend the money or spend the high draft pick on them, and then I'll come back around later when they get frustrated and just touch base with them, see how they're doing, and make the acquisition for them there. Uh, and that's with position players. Honestly, with, with pitching prospects, uh, I have – evolved on this with pitching prospects. I used to chase every one of them and look at the big numbers, but like, Oh man, this is going to be great. I'd let them all go. And, and then me, this is me, the Tampa Bay Rays fan speaking. I traded Brent Honeywell last year in the middle of his great minor league season. I let him go and now he's going to be out for, another, you know, 15 to 18 months. And I look great in hindsight, but I had no hesitation in making that deal last year because I've been burned so many times by holding on to that pitching prospect because he's going to be the next greatest thing. And he flames out while all of these vets were out there that I over that I just passed over to go get this kid. So for me, it's all about position prospects. If I'm taking a, if I'm taking any kind of pitching prospect, it's going to be a, a guy that I can project to get into the. The bullpen and and do some damage from that because I know he can get there quickly uh, and do something like Roberto was when he came up, I was all over him. I loved him. And I you could see the path to him and that he was going to be in the bullpen. And I wanted to go after him. And that's how I do my operations on when I have a when I have a straight draft. If I've got five reserve picks for the minors, I'm going to take five hitters
0: or I'm going to take four
1: hitters and a guy that I can project to be in the bullpen this year.
0: Let's move to the starting rotation, starting staff. You've got four headliners here with Scherzer, Kershaw, Kluber, and Sale. Any of those guys could go in a first round, depending how big your draft or how big your league is. Then there's Mm -hmm. a drop-off, and there's a strong second-tier group of pitchers, as there always is. There's also, to me, a a group of bounce-back candidates that I find interesting in John Lester, in David Price. Uh, I'm not sure what even Matt... Tanaka, who wasn't terrible last year, but I look at all of those guys. Noah Syndergaard only pitched like 40 innings last year, maybe even less. I think all of those guys have the potential to be very, very good, though I do think Syndergaard is going a little high considering what he's done. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's...
1: I always I always love pitching. I always think there's probably I have more faith in pitching than anybody else. I don't know if it's because that's where I tend. You know, when I pick up when I pick up the the baseball HQ forecast or I automatically go to the pitching section and start reading. When I pick up the baseball prospectus, I start going and reading on the pitchers. Anything I do, I'm going to start, start with pitchers because it's what I love the most. And I think. Uh, So I'm always look, uh, I always think there's more depth than anybody else. And I'm not, I'm never in a rush to draft pitching because I like what I can find later in these drafts. And it is one of the reasons why I started tracking new pitches is because I'm always looking for the guy that's ranked lower than, that I think he should be that's making that change to do better. I think two of the best examples that we have of this last year uh, were, were Robbie Ray and Trevor Bauer, you know, coming into drafts, people had their question marks on both of them, but then during the season, They created new pitches. Robbie Ray started throwing a curveball off his slider. And then Trevor Bauer created a slider in season. You saw both of these guys take off in the middle of the year. And if you were – and Trevor Bauer is a guy that I drafted last year in AL Tatworth for $5 and was one of my favorite picks because I went into the season targeting him because he's always tinkering with something. And I knew the strikeouts and the wins would be there, but I didn't know where the ratios would be. Uh, But he ended up coming through for me. And Robbie Ray was a guy that I I got for $4 – in, my home, in one of my home NL leagues because you know, people had question marks, didn't think he could repeat. Uh, then he went out there and got the strikeouts, found another pitch, and then took that thing to a next level. So uh, that's why I'm always trying to study those guys because everybody's going to draft the the higher guys where they should be. I don't see a lot of people doing too much reaching for pitching, um, but we, we know the failure rate of some of those guys. I, I think one guy that kind of scares me near the top is Kyle Hendricks. Uh, where where he is because he's had such uh, fortune in terms of stranding runners on base the last couple of years like 80 percent and higher we've never had a starting pitcher do it three straight years the last guy who he reminds me of a couple of years ago Jeremy Hellickson did it in back-to-back seasons and then was terrible in that third year Um, Hendricks is you can see him trying to get ahead of it he's talking this spring about tweaking his curveball and getting something with a better spin two years ago when he had his breakout year he took that curveball as a pitch to steal first pitch strikes because nobody swings at first pitch curveballs so he said if i throw a decent one i can get a first pitch strike i now have the advantage in uh, the count so let me see what i can do to go forward uh, but i am worried about him but i, I see a lot of guys down there uh, in the middle of the pack uh, working on things to try to adjust something like uh, julie shashin and denelson Lamette, two guys I, I like a lot in the nl format you know, really good against righties, have their issues against lefties, but both of them are in camp this spring, throwing change-ups. They realize they've got to get something to get against lefties. And I think LeMet could take a huge step forward because his fastball and slider combination against righties is already deadly. And then if he can get anything happening against lefties, it's going to take him to a new level that uh, that people haven't uh, seen right now. And for him, his ADP is outside the top 200. I mean, if everything t- clicks for him, he could be a top 25 pitcher.
0: I'm going to play a little game with you here. I'm going to compare players to Otani. You tell me who ends up being more valuable in fantasy this year. Rich Hill or Shohei Otani? Otani. Pitching. Pitching Otani. Pitching Otani. We're just talking pitching here. Jeff Samarja or Shohei Otani? Samarja by quite a bit. I I like him a lot this year. Zach Godley or Shohei Otani?
1: Man, that that's tough. I'm going to call that a push because uh, Zach Godley, I am a big believer in the Zach Godley curveball. Uh, It is a wonderful pitch. I
0: think he should throw it even more than he does. Um, And I'm going to call that a push. And I'm going to go way down the list. Drew Pomerantz or Shohei Otani? You
1: know, Drew Pomerantz is already saying something sore. So maybe his innings, maybe the two of them will finish in similar innings, uh, and so I'll give I'll, I'll give Otani the slight edge there. But you know Pomeranz has had his issues staying healthy um, in the past, and he's, something's already barking at him. So I'm gonna
0: give Otani the slight edge here. Let's quickly look at relievers before we wrap things up. Everyone's looking for sleeper save candidates. that Everybody wants you know last year Brad Hand came out of nowhere and he was great. Felipe Rivero was great. Who do you think of relievers this year that maybe not be starting as closers but will finish the year as closers and likely be great at it?
1: Addison Reed's going to be there because Fernando Rodney is that's going to be a, a tough one to uh to stump to stomach there. The guy that I've been but he already this guy already has the role, but the guy that I've been trying to pick up everywhere is Blake Trinan. I really like the stuff uh that he's throwing to the plate. Uh, if you read Eno Saras go to the Athletic and read the piece that Eno Saras did, on, on Trinan a couple of months ago. It's, it's very eye-opening of what he's able to do. Uh, you know, with 30% of these guys losing the job, it, it's always tough to see where's going to come back. I'm curious to see if Nate Jones is going to be able to bounce back right now. That job's going to be... Uh, uh, to Joaquin Soria and, and with the White Sox. But if Nate Jones can come back, he's in the final year of his deal. He's going to want to show something. The White Sox would love for him to show something so they could trade him uh, in the final year of this deal and and see where that goes. Joe Jimenez with, with Detroit. And I'd like Shane Green, but Joe Jimenez has got the stuff. And if Shane Green slips up like he did a couple of years ago in starting rotation, maybe that job goes to Jimenez.
0: Yeah, I think Dominic Leone in uh, St. Louis has some chance mm-hmm. to pick up saves there. I think only Luke Gregerson is ahead of him, and I also think Tim Lincecum has a shot in Texas. We'll see what happens with their bullpen. Jeff Sullivan had a nice piece on FanGraphs about the potential of him closing. It makes a lot of sense. I think Lincecum's a guy that wouldn't surprise me gets a lot of saves because I think he's going to be good at it if he's given that opportunity.
1: Yeah. It, one of the things with him is just he wasn't able to go deep into deep into games. And if you're fast, if you're trying to start and you're trying to use your fastball over 75, 80 pitches, it's it's just not it's going to fall short a little bit. But if you're going to go in there and say, I just need 20 to 25 from you and he's been working at line baseball, trying to get his velocity up, it could work. And then people you know, I saw, I remember, somebody said, you know, saves, who cares? His ERA is going to be garbage. And I was like, yeah, Sean Chacon says hi. I mean, Sean Chacon had 35 saves in her ERA close to seven one year in Colorado. Saves are saves. And even in that type of season, he still had a positive dollar value
0: in single league formats. So it could happen for Linsicum too. Before we wrap it up, I want you to give me that one guy who's taken in the first 20 picks or as a high auction value that you are avoiding, and one guy who you think is going very low that you are taking in as many leagues as you can.
1: Uh, who am I avoiding? I, I'm with you when you said Jose Ramirez. I, I see him being drafted in the top 25, and uh, I'm scared. He's the when we get to that point, that one concerns me. Uh, where I see a guy that has the outside shot of finishing in the top twenty-five is Christian Yelich. I am I am very excited about what he can do in Milwaukee, being part of that lineup. I mean, last year he was in a phenomenal lineup, uh, as it were, in Miami. Just the park wasn't great for him. A lot of people make uh, noise of the fact that he hits a lot of ground balls, but if you play in that park, I would too. It's tough to reach, but now he's moving to Milwaukee, where the fences are closer, and maybe he. It doesn't take much for a guy to flip his launch angle. We saw Logan Morrison just smoke and yonder Alonso do it last year uh, and maybe yelich decides you know i'm not going to hit two and a half ground balls for a fly ball i'm going to make maybe make that one to one all of a sudden uh that could be a very exciting year plus he's moving to a manager that's very aggressive on the base pass uh, i am extremely excited for him he went early in round three in the labor draft uh in the labor draft last month and paul and i were really hoping to take him in round three but we were at the back end we
0: thought we were being aggressive and somebody took him 10 picks in front of us you've been listening to jason collette jason is a writer for rotowire and a regular contributor on sirius xm you can give him a follow on twitter at jason collette jason thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today
1: Hey, this was fun thanks for having me on